This session is brought to you with the help of Sundial Cannabis, the natural alternative for modern wellness. Hello and welcome to Sessions by the Herb Life. My name is Tiana, your friendly sessions facilitator, and we are back for season two with a whole new lineup of women who have made cannabis their business. As you probably know, Sessions is a podcast that aims to bring forth the conversations happening on the ground of this exciting industry. We want to generate new ideas and highlight some of the plant's greatest advocates. By bringing together a rotating roster of people with an emphasis on women and diversity, we hope to share with you the passions, the challenges and the triumphs of those working in the cannabis space. Much like you, my job really is just to sit back and enjoy the ride. And don't forget to subscribe to the e-newsletter at HerbLifestyle.com to stay up to date with all the session's info. This episode, you'll hear from Jamie Shaw, Chief Communications and Culture Officer at Pasha Brands. A cannabis industry veteran, Jamie has spent much of her time lobbying for cannabis reform in Canada. She's worked as a consultant in education, communication and advocacy and is a well-known figure in the cannabis community. She's joined by co-host Ashley Brown, founder of SheCan, one of the first online cannabis communities catering to women. SheCan is both a cannabis education platform and resource, as well as a digital space that encourages women to ask questions and share their cannabis experiences. Ashley was introduced to medicinal cannabis after a long battle with her own health issues, which saw her having up to 100 seizures a day. Her story is actually pretty inspiring, and it in turn inspired her to create SheCan to ensure other women felt supported in their own explorations of cannabis. As someone who's only been working in this industry for about two or three years, SheCan was actually a great resource for me when I first got started. This episode, titled Awkward by Jamie Shaw, is our first ever self-titled episode, and it pays homage to the current state of legal cannabis, just one year after its legalisation in Canada. Now, we often hear discussions around the challenges of the current legal framework, so perhaps we should preface this conversation with an assurance that we all welcome the end of cannabis prohibition. The federal legalisation of cannabis in Canada is certainly a step in the right direction, and with any luck, it will play a very important role in the global shift. However, as both Jamie and Ashley have laid out in this episode, the process of legalisation and its consequences have in some parts of the country actually diminished access for patients and consumers, and it's done little to address the damage of a century of prohibition. Instead of legalisation being part of a collective shift in consciousness around the plant, the change was implemented as a means to an end, as Ashley puts it, and has thusly failed to address many of the issues that underpin the industry. To make matters even more challenging, the tight regulations implemented by Health Canada have paralysed so many players in this industry, making it difficult for the industry itself to champion change by doing any of the necessary groundwork. But it's not all bad. The overarching theme of this awkward session is the idea that it's now up to patients and consumers to be the voice of change. Luckily, as Ashley points out, it's a very rapid shift from skeptic to patient to advocate, but there's still a lot of work to be done. And without further ado, I will pass it on to these wonderful ladies, Ashley and Jamie. Hello, everyone, and welcome 
welcome to Herb Life Sessions. Uh, if you've listened to this podcast before, it'll become quickly apparent that I don't really know what I'm doing here. Um, the episode t- title is Awkward, partially because of that, although the first attempt that uh, we had to try and record this uh, was called Aw oh, Man, I Don't Know. So awkward is an improvement. And as we're recording one day after the anniversary of legalization in Canada, awkward actually seemed like a very appropriate title. Um, I'm here with the lovely Ashley Brown, uh, founder of She Can. Um, Ashley, would you like to introduce yourself? I, I would like to introduce myself, albeit it will be awkward, I'm sure. Um, I, I, as you said, my name is Ashley Brown, so we got that out of the way now a couple times. Uh, I am the founder and CEO of She Can and uh, a mom to a bunch of uh, humans and uh, and some animals. And I live in Winnipeg, which is something everyone should feel sorry for me for. Um, and yeah, I, I love cannabis. I love talking about cannabis and uh I love all things Jamie Shaw as well. So I'm happy to be here on this podcast with you tonight, uh, making everything awkward. And and you have done so um, in, in a spectacular fashion, as, as I had no doubt that you would. Um, so one year after legalization, where do, where do we start? Oh my goodness. Right. I, I think it's, I, I was, I've been giving this a lot of thought because, you know, we're in a federal election cycle and we're a year out of, of, uh, cannabis legalization. And I think that there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of disenchantment. There's a lot of people who are not feeling so good about where we are, um, versus where they thought we'd be. So, you know, maybe that's, that's where we, where our jumping off point is today, right? Like, how do you feel about it? How do you feel um, a year out from legalization? You know, what are your thoughts? Well, it's it's awkward, particularly when you mention the, the uh, election. I mean, the the choices on this particular policy haven't really been stellar. Um, the Justin Trudeau liberals, they've legalized. They said they would legalize. Um, they also put a tax on medical cannabis and, and have brought in regulations that are um, not necessarily conducive to the industry um, or to uh, cannabis's place in society, for that matter. Um, you've got the Green Party, who should have a good policy around this, but when they put out their policy, it w- wasn't even like they were asking for things to be allowed that actually are allowed. Like it just made, became very evident that they didn't really know what they were talking about, which is discouraging. Um, and then there's the NDP and the Conservatives, who are both pretty clearly on either side of the Liberals on this. So yeah, it, it's 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 awkward not to try and say that word too much, but but it definitely is. Um, you know, I mentioned medical. Uh, talk a little bit. About about SheCan and where SheCan came from. Right. So the so SheCan is kind of uh, born out of necessity. I became a patient in 2016 um, after pursuing uh, many, many, many traditional medications to treat my seizures. I started having seizures when my youngest daughter was three months old. So that was 2009. Uh, and I had some great doctors, but they really didn't have a lot of answers for me. So uh, as people do when they have, a, you know, a disabling illness, um, you kind of run the gamut. And at some point you reach uh, the end of the road with traditional medicine. A good friend of mine came to me and, and she had gotten her authorization for medical cannabis and, and she asked me to try it. And specifically, she asked me to try high CBD oil. 
um, you know, I'd used cannabis, I'd smoked pot, um, her and I had smoked pot together and had a great time, um, but it had never helped my seizures. So I was a little bit skeptical. And she really reiterated that this was different. This was medical cannabis and it was different um, because she was a good friend. I tried it. And, um, you know, for the first time in seven years, I was seizure free for more than 24 hours. At that point, I was having 180 seizures a month. So um, to, to have a break like that was actually nothing short of miraculous. And um, the first thing my partner and I wanted to do was get a, a legal authorization. So that's, um, that's what we did. Um, but there wasn't a lot of information out there that I felt helped me navigate. I didn't know how much to take. I didn't know when to take it. I didn't know how it was supposed to work, how I was supposed to feel. And, and you know, the, the clinic really didn't give me any guidance. The licensed producers were really not able to, to make a lot of recommendations based on the, on the rec the regulations at that point, which it was under the ACMPR, uh, you know, so I was, I was very stuck and I started Googling things and stumbled upon a ton of communities online. Um, but they, they were often hostile. They were often hostile to the legal market. If you mentioned that you were a registered patient with a licensed producer, they would talk about how terrible licensed producers were and, and basically tell people to grow their own, which wasn't an option for me at that point. Um, you know, so I, I was looking for more than that. And um, it really started to be um, be clear to me that women especially were going silent in a lot of these groups. They, they weren't um, asking questions, ask questions that they needed answers to because they didn't feel comfortable. So a, a, a few uh, fellow patients and fellow members of some of these groups and I decided one day that we were going to start our own community uh, targeting women who were using legal medical cannabis. They had an authorization or they were looking for one. Um, and make it a group that was about support and compassion and fact-based education and about access within the system as it existed then and as it exists now. Um, so in June of 2017, we founded SheCan, um, specifically uh, as a closed group on Facebook. And uh, now we are... Uh, Two and a half years out, and uh, we are almost 8,000 members across three platforms. So still Canadian, still female-focused, um, with a lot of support from the industry and a lot of very invested patients who are really showing up for each other every day to talk about everything from parenting to dosing to you know condition-specific um, information to research and, um, and doing it in a way that is compassionate and um, you know, is, is really very genuine to, to what they, they themselves have created in this community. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think that, um, type of thing is extremely important. Um, especially in places like Winnipeg that didn't have the same number of medical dispensaries that were here in Vancouver. Um, a lot of communities have, have lost their medical dispensaries or only really pretty much have their original ones left. Um, those places were fonts of information. It was places where patients could connect and talk to each other about, um, the relief that they were receiving, how and why, and, and, um, when they noticed it maybe didn't work so well. And, and that is kind of being stomped out by the regulations. I mean, the clinics are only allowed to say so much. As you mentioned, the, the licensed producers themselves are only allowed to say so much. Retailers are then hampered further. Um, so it, it's really important that people kind of keep carrying that knowledge um, forward. Um, yeah. And, and what are the biggest issues that, that you find in that community? I mean, imagine the excise taxes is a big one. Um, what, what are the other major issues that, that um, members of SheCan tend to focus on or, or are most concerned about? Well, as you said, I mean, highlighting the excise tax, affordability. 
um, you know, these are people that are often underemployed or unemployed. They're on benefits. I, you know, was on disability um, up until 2017. And in 2017, medical cannabis cost me a full third of my disability benefits. And I'm not alone in that. 90% of SheCan members are underdosing or going without their medication based on the cost. So it's, it's not only taxed, it's also expensive and not covered by insurance in so many cases. So that is a primary concern. Uh, what I find interesting is that, um, you know, women come to this, they've, they've often have never consumed cannabis at all. They're very cannabis naive. They learn a lot in a very short period of time. And the next thing they do is identify problems like affordability. And then they ask the question, what can we do about this? So they, they go from being patients to advocates in a very, very short period of time. And I think that the, the orientation to problem solving is really what becomes very powerful. Um, you know, so they're the first to lend their, their voices to the Don't Text Medicine campaign. They're the first to write to their members of parliament. They're looking for these ways to participate. You know, we're talking a little bit about the federal election. Uh, one of the things that SheCan really wanted to do was make sure that we gave people access. So we encouraged people to, you know, submit questions to the televised elections and to submit kind of the same question. Ask if these parties are committing to removing the tax on medicine. Was it successful? Advocacy is is an ongoing process. So progress is a process. Um, you know, uh, we're not going to be able to deliver on every, you know, every opportunity that we have to, to share our voices and our experiences. But, you know, it's about, um, you know, giving people those those chances to discuss those issues that are important to them, like, you know, cost, affordability, tax, um, and, you know, and stigma. Right. Like it, it really is still something that exists for a lot of people, even when they're using it legally, even when they're using, you know, a regulated product, they still feel, um, you know, unsure, uncomfortable. So we're, we're still attempting to normalize that and doing it together. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned something about advocacy and, you know, because it wasn't successful, it sounded sort of like, well, you know, you know, next time, but I mean, it's, it's, about making it part of the conversation and, and making sure that it remains part of the conversation. Um, that's a big part of it. And of course, the, the trend that you mentioned among SheCan members also very much reflects the social movement in both, uh, you know, North America, um, in both California and BC in particular, um, the, the whole patient turned advocate, it happens very, very quickly. Um, and it, it echoes through pretty much every demographic, some through stronger. Um, my uh, grandmother, it was, is a teetotaler in the truest sense of the word. She never had a cigarette. She doesn't drink alcohol. She doesn't like tea. She doesn't like coffee. She doesn't like, like aspirin or pharmaceuticals. Um, and recently, because a friend had gotten a lot of relief from uh, cannabis edibles that she was prescribed where she was from, um, my grandmother was actually about to try a cookie. They ended up being out of supply. Um, but even just the very thought that that she would be willing to try that, and it's literally because all of her friends did, and they all experienced benefits from it. And so um, that that wave kind of, it does grow very quickly as long as people can talk to each other. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, that that kind of story is really, um, as you say, it's it's a very rapid shift, um, you know, from, you know, from skeptic to patient to advocate. Um, and it's, it's something that's unique and really powerful. And I think, you know, when, when you get a bunch of people together, they can do really great things and they can really impact each other positively. Absolutely. Um, and uh, so there's been a lot of issues with legalization. So let's get this out of the way. Yay, it's legal. That is huge, actually. So great. That's awesome. Um, 
things that are legalized are often regulated and more than often overregulated. And um, particularly cannabis seems to be sort of bearing the brunt of mistakes that have been made in other industries, um, while also seemingly forcing this industry to kind of make those same mistakes. Um, we talked a little bit about equality. You mentioned, um, you know, what is your take on what's been happening in the industry? Has there been, have you noticed a, a major shift in terms of a gender gap? You know, that's a, in, that's an interesting question. I think that I'm really, um, I'm really fortunate to be um, so focused on, on patients that I don't spend a lot of time looking at the broader industry in terms of, of some of those systemic issues. I think that, um, I think that things are getting better. I think that it's about people feeling comfortable and feeling confident, and that comes from having peer support. So whether you're looking to work in the industry or you're just a consumer in the industry, I think that you know having people out there that validate your experience is really what affirms um, you know what you feel you can and cannot do. And you know when it comes to cannabis, that's just about saying, hey, like you know, as my, as my dear friend and, and, and she can, um, CCO, Irie Selkirk says, you know, do what you love and, and put a little weed on it. So uh, that's the advice I have often, especially to women who are, are concerned about there being a gender imbalances. You know what? The best thing you can do is focus on what your strengths are, find people who are going to be your cheerleaders and who are also going to be honest with you and do what you love and put a little weed on it. So whatever your strength is, whether it's communication, whether it's advertising, whether it's creativity, whether it's development, you know, that that needs to be your focus. And are there going to be challenges? Absolutely. But you get to decide, you know, what army you have behind you to support you, you know, in navigating those. So I think for myself, I've been very fortunate. I mean, I, I have so many people, so many women, especially that I look to, you know, for that guidance and for that reassurance. And now I, I take pride in being able to, you know, to do that for other women as well. And I, I feel I have a responsibility to, to show them that there's so many opportunities, um, you know, to, to wade through a lot of, of, of the issues that plague this industry. Yeah, absolutely. There are. And, and um, it's, I, it, it's, I kind I, I'm a historical nerd, right? And so I love like sociological trends and uh, historical facts and, and watching the way society has shifted around cannabis um, in my lifetime and through books all the way back uh, to the Middle Ages. It's, it's uh, something that's very kind of hard for me to ignore. Um, at the same time, in my own personal circle um, and in my own experience, it hasn't really been an issue. I've, I've uh, you know, I always kind of think just focus on the work. And if, the, you know, if you believe the work that you're doing, is important and you believe in the work that you're doing, then just focus on that and, and everything else kind of comes by the wayside. Um, I do think, unfortunately, that that doesn't necessarily help everybody. Um, that's not necessarily good advice for everybody. And so it, it's difficult because, as you mentioned in the beginning of your, your response, it's it's systemic. And, and some of these systemic issues are what trickles down. Um, so it ends up relating to things like taxes. It ends up relating to um, higher costs, steeper regulations, the stigma as well that you mentioned. Um, another example is sort of uh, the clamping down on, I mean, again, this is for other reasons, but uh, not legalizing sort of consumption spaces where people can uh, gather together inside out of the Canadian winter um, and consume cannabis. Um, that is entirely stigma related and makes zero sense when you compare it to, to alcohol. Um, how do you think that we can get consumption lounges uh, throughout Canada? Wow, that that's a really good question. I'm going to ask Google. I think Google will know the answer. 
I'll just, <laughs> I'll just Google it. I, I think that that comes from the, the most powerful voice in this industry, whether we know it or not, is the consumer. Um, the regulations have completely paralyzed so many players in this industry. So, you know, whether it be licensed producers, whether it be, you know, dispensary owners, whether it be the makers or the clinics, they don't have a lot of opportunity to be the voice of change because they are so heavily hampered. And I think the one constant across medical, across adult use is that as a consumer, you are holding the most power because you have the opportunities to speak freely. So when it comes to consumption lounges, I think that the way that that's going to move is by the same way that Everything in this industry, you know, has shifted, which is one person's story, one person's experience becoming something that creates a movement of advocacy. So if people, I don't know necessarily that people are aware of just how limiting the the lack of consumption lounges is going to be, just how much it hinders them and just how much they're being stigmatized by it. So I, I think almost we have to bring awareness to the issue. We have to bring awareness to consumers and say, hey, is this something you want? And if you want it, then you need to have a voice that mobilizes this so you can take it to your municipal politicians, you can take it to your provincial governments, and you can educate them and, and really point out that, you know, Consumers are buying the products, they're paying the taxes, and consumers are also voting. So they really hold the most power. And I think they're largely unaware of that. Yeah, well, I mean, this is, you know, we're we're, uh, in the United States, uh, John F. Kennedy in particular started talking about consumer power and consumer rights um, and started touting certain consumer advocacy groups. And since that time, the United States has has gotten very, very powerful consumer groups. Um, People like Ralph Nader have made an entire career out of representing uh, consumer organizations. Um, And that has been lacking in Canada, partially because we didn't have JFK, partially because we were founded by the Hudson's Bay Company. Um, so none of these regulations have taken a- a- a patients into mind. They haven't really taken logistics around the product itself in mind. They haven't taken it, their advice from other industries in mind. So there's been a lot of issues um, around that by itself. Um, and this is made more difficult, I think, because we've got um, consumer education issues where you have pockets like Vancouver and Victoria and, and certain communities in Toronto and Montreal um, and certain communities online that uh, actually do have a lot of knowledge and, and can share a lot of that knowledge. But you've also got a lot of people whose doctor told them um, about cannabis, signed them up for a Ganagram because they heard that was a good one, um, you know, or, or can trust. And when there was a problem, they, they just move it to another one and they don't know anything about these producers. They don't know anything about cannabis and neither do the consumers. Consumers. Um, so I think that's that's a really strong missing link as well. I completely agree with you, and I will go on record as saying, probably for the first time publicly, that the the industry and the the country needs a strong formal consumer lobby at this point. That is what we are lacking. That is what we are missing, and I believe that that is the all encompassing answer to so many of the issues, everything from access for medical patients to consumption lounges, you know, to amnesty. At the end of the day, those issues all do feed back to the consumer. And I think that we actually have far more allies in industry as consumers that will support 
a lobby because a lot of the issues are the same. The issues facing licensed producers when it comes to packaging, a lot of consumers assume that this is something that comes as a result of licensed producers wanting to do it this way. And as you said, they aren't aware of the mechanics of such. They don't understand where the regulations come from. They don't even understand what the regulations mandate and just how they influence, you know, how much waste goes into packaging their product by the time they get it. And I think that that it it is high time no pun intended, that we have a robust consumer lobby um, in the cannabis space in Canada that really is a voice for change and reform that can exert pressure on the, you know, on the industry, but also on the regulator. Most importantly, on the regulators, they need to hear a concerted voice. They need to hear, you know, an informed voice. And a consumer lobby also serves to educate all those people who and all those consumers and and stakeholders who really aren't aware of the issues. And, you know, there's pockets of that happening. But, you know, I I think legalization has given us an opportunity to really unite all of those interests under one umbrella. Well, and I think it has to. I mean, this is something that I've been sort of advocating for a little while. Um, and, and it's hard to kind of pitch uh, in an industry that's seen a plethora of um, associations and advocacy organizations, um, but none of them have actually focused on the consumer, not a single one. And so that is missing. Um, in terms of what legalization has done to the activist crowd, um, it's, it's, I find it's really kind of split it a bunch where, um, you've got people that maybe said, you know what, I'm going to try and make change from inside and then, then ended up in places where they couldn't. You've got other people that are kind of coming along going, okay, well, I can, I can actually make change uh, from the inside. You've got other people that are still pushing on the outside, um, like, you know, certain dispensaries um, that are still saying, you know, look, you, you still don't serve our patients. We've been serving these patients for decades and this system would not allow us to serve serve these people and there's nothing left for them. There's nowhere else um, that can pick that up. And so um, I think it's been interesting to kind of watch how, particularly on the medical side, there doesn't really seem to be the same strong organizations that there used to be. There's CFAM um, that's focused on the taxes. um, And, you know, there's Cannabis Amnesty, which is focused on um, pardons. And I'm hoping expungements is is part of their plan as well, um, because full expungements are actually needed to to, uh, allow everyone into the industry that wants to get into the industry the way that it is right now. So, I mean, I think that's that's important to kind of consider as well. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think I'm I'm a, I'm kind of a sucker for a for an all encompassing powerhouse at this point. Like, I think that um, a lot of these groups, you know, people admire them from afar or they, you know, they, they want to support them, but they don't know how to. And the fact is that advocacy is thankless, thankless work and it's exhausting and it doesn't pay, and there isn't a lot of funding behind it. And that's the problem. And so a robust consumer lobby has a different approach because we're not just talking about poor patients or you know groups that have been marginalized and largely punished under a previous system of prohibition. When we're talking about consumers, we're talking about everybody who gets to vote with their wallet. And there is a whole lot of reason to invest in, in something that looks like that. And as you said, I mean, the U.S. has done lobbying in ways for consumers that you know we've never successfully replicated. But there are a lot of powerful lobbies in this country, and there is absolutely no reason why why cannabis can't use this frustration as an opportunity to unite. 
Well, absolutely. And, and I think it has to because, frankly, most of the industry is happy to have a license. So, um, you know, Health Canada comes along and says, you can't do that. And, and maybe some of them go, okay, this is really stupid. We should be doing it this way. And they go, yeah, but you're going to do it this way. And they go, okay, thank you. Right. And, and I get that, but it doesn't really end up causing a lot of pushback. Um, you can kind of say things over and over again, but as long as you are grateful to kind of have that license. Um, and I think a lot of the newer players. I mean, people kind of forget how many licenses there are now, um, particularly as the micros come online, there's more of those. Um, I think there's a different attitude uh, coming into it now where it's the people that did care a little bit more about the product. It's people that um, have maybe been doing this forever and, and uh, care a great deal for the product. Um, there are uh, variations of, of people that are, can now get into the industry that were formerly gray market or MMAR, but there's still a vast amount of people that are let out. Um, so I think that there's a lot of issues. I think uh, tax and amnesty are both worthy, uh, strong issues, but there's been no one at the end of the day standing up for consumers. No one at all. Um, some groups have been standing up for medical consumers, but not in terms of people that are going to a retail store and buying a product that is being packaged and stored in a way that is maybe not best for the product. Um, clearly, there's some QA issues going on with what people have been getting in their products. Um, that should be a major concern. It, again, if this was the United States, uh, you know, for all the image that they have of being big corporations and big business, um, consumer advocacy is is also huge uh, and very powerful because there's a conflict in law. I'm, I was trying to get through a whole episode without getting all like really weird and historical data nerdy. Um, but there was, a, was some of the first laws in the world uh, came out of Arabia, um, Hammurabi's laws, and they kind of said, you know, if a worker did some work on your house under contract and it was kind of crappy work and you got injured somehow, that was that worker's fault. Instead, we kind of have Roman law, which was buyer beware. And so there's been like a shift to try and get towards some sort of like fairness. That's the whole point of regulations with other substances is, is to try and just make sure that um, it, everything is done fairly. No one is... is profiting off of things that maybe are not beneficial um, in the long run. Uh, and so that concept, I feel, is is that needs to change around cannabis. It's We need to stop going, oh, wow, I can go to my legal store and I can buy it in my legal store and start saying, look, what the product that you're selling is is not good. Um, I, you know, some of it, I've heard some good reviews from some people that know, so I have to assume that some of it is. Um, but we've seen mold, we've seen dead bugs or not dead bugs, we've seen pencils, we, we've seen just uh, you know, microbutanol, and nothing's really been tightened up. And, and there's this attitude that seems left over from tobacco, where it's this idea that, well, you know, if they're going to consume it, and we think it's bad for them, then whatever, we don't really care, right? And, and thankfully, they don't allow a million additives like they do with tobacco, but they also don't allow like organic organic compounds when you're growing and, and some some beneficial bacteria on the plant, for example. So I, I think a lot of what 
I would like to see happen um, would very well be served by a, a consumer advocacy group um, because when you're talking about you know craft growers and and local product produced locally, packaged sustainably, available in the community, so that you're supporting community jobs all the way along, um, that is in line with consumers. That is in line with what we're hearing from other industries that you know maybe mono agriculture isn't the right way to do it, and we should be buying more local produce and we should be buying more local. Uh, products in general, and then we do the opposite uh, with cannabis. First of all, I love when you go historical nerd. So I'm super glad we got there. It took us it took us a little while. You had extreme restraint, but I'm super glad we got there. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think I think it's a it's a really good point. And that's actually what I started to see. I started to talk to people about this because, you know, we get curious. It, it starts to feel like the entire industry is failing consumers. And I, I'm just a little bit suspect that anything's ever that black and white. So, you know, I started asking um, the smaller licensed producers about their experiences. And, you know, people were coming to me, patients were coming to me, members of SheCan were coming to me, consumers were coming to me and saying, what is with all this packaging? I can't believe that these companies are doing this. And the licensed producers were saying, this needs to come from Health Canada. The change needs to come from the regulator. We are just trying to comply. As you said, they're happy to have a license and they don't really want to jeopardize that. They're not in a position to disrupt the status quo when it comes to regulations, but consumers absolutely are. And I think you're right. We are united in our values, especially in the emerging crop of of producers and of, of small business owners. Some of the dispensary owners that I've met, you know, that are independents, the same issues. You think that they want to be selling products? that is subpar, that is old, that has been sitting on the shelf for, you know, in in a distribution center since, you know, last, you know, October. This is not what they want either. And they're saying, you know what, we we are completely hamstrung by this. We don't want this and we don't have a voice or we want to sponsor an event, um, but we can't because of the cannabis act. And so it puts a black mark on all those who are actually trying to do good work and it doesn't serve the interest of consumer and all roads lead back to a process that levies some pressure against the regulator, against the government and really says, no, we are we are voters, we are consumers, we pay taxes and we want things to look different. And I think that that is something that, you know, many in the industry side can invest in. And I think that that's what needs to happen. We need to have those aligned values invest in a consumer lobby because the reason that advocacy is not moving forward the way we want it to is simply dollars, cents, and resources. And, you know, it, it's costing us as patients, it's costing us as consumers in terms of the confidence we have in this industry, and it's costing the industry. So I think it's time that, you know, everybody unite and, and really put their money where their mouth is and invest in a consumer lobby. It is not uh, running afoul of the Cannabis Act for businesses in the industry to sponsor or fund a consumer organization. It is, it's not, uh, you know, it's not a violation. It has to be done in a certain way, but there, there are ways to invest. And I think that that would be a wise investment across the board. And that's how we're going to see change. Put some money behind the consumers so the consumers can take these issues because the consumers are not at risk. They're not being hamstrung. They can be as vocal as they want to be. And when I hear people express their frustration over situations like hand trust, when I hear people express their frustration over packaging or taxation or pricing, and I know from 
from being, you know, in this space long enough and having talked to a lot of great humans who work for some of these big companies, who work for some of the small companies, who work for some of the trade organizations, they're all saying the same thing, which is they wish that they could talk about it honestly with people. They wish they could tell them where a lot of this comes from. And and they can't. And and they want the same things consumers want. Well, I mean, I, it's, it's, I mean, and that's a tough one because I know that some are in the position where, uh, you know, they, they feel like they can't. I do feel like, um, at, as we've both mentioned, there is another wave sort of coming along that feels a little bit differently. I certainly hope so. Um, I, I, I'm not sure funding should come from uh, the corporations for the consumer and at, for a consumer advocacy group, though. Um, I mean, I would think that should be, there should be some government funding set aside at least to sort of start that. Um, and then it should become a charitable organization, um, I would like to see it ally with other consumer groups. I mean, one of the things with cannabis for me is that we've treated a lot of things wrong, not just cannabis. And I hope that we, once we realize it, we haven't yet. Legalizing wasn't that realization. Once we rea- realize that we're not really treating this uh, plant properly, I'm hoping still that we'll look at other things and go, you know what? Yeah, we weren't doing that right for that either. Um, and things would improve. I, I still am hopeful for that. I, I think it's going to take a little bit longer. Like I used to think uh, consciousness would shift before legalization happened. And and instead, I feel like what we got was legalization with no real understanding of actually why they did it. They just kind of knew it was popular enough um, and that they had lost enough court cases. And it was an issue that Harper was worse than than the liberals on. Um, I'm not sure if it wasn't for all of that, that we would even have legalization right now, because a lot of the regulations really don't convey a sense that Right. Prohibition was an injustice. Right. We were wrong to try and and treat this this way. Um, We don't even get that. Right. And so I think that until that fundamental shift happens, we're going to keep dealing with um, very difficult regulations, onerous regulations, overly burdensome regulations and things that ultimately end up not making any sense. You know, the the provinces want to protect public servant jobs. So we see Ontario say, no, it's going to go to public employees union at first um, while, you know, while Catherine Wynne was in. Um, Doug Ford said, no, OK, we'll go private. But they still set themselves up as the broker like Saskatchewan did not do that. They're the only province to not do that. Every other province decided that they suddenly knew how to pick good cannabis for consumers so well, in fact, that the retailers wouldn't even get to look at it. So um, when it leaves the production facility, typically in any other sort of um industry and in cannabis before it was regulated, you could inspect what you were selling before you sold it. Um, you couldn't necessarily, you know, open packages of, of certain things, but you can require testing. Um, if it's a uh, flower, it was something that you absolutely could in- inspect. Um, as a retailer, you have some choice. If it's bad fruit, you can send it back. Um, if there's something that's, you know, a, a broken zipper, um, you, you can say, I'm not going to try and sell this. But if you're a cannabis retailer, you don't have any choice. You don't get to see it. You have no idea. You didn't even get to pick it most places. The province picked it for you. Um, so, I mean, this those are all sorts of issues that, from a consumer perspective, you should be concerned about. I think that's a really good point. And I, I think you've just, you've added a lot of value to the conversation because, you know, something else, um, you know, that's in alignment with that is, you're right, every one of these issues kind of leads 
back to the idea that there hasn't been a shift in consciousness. There hasn't been a fundamental understanding of just exactly why legalization was important. I think you, you're right. It was done more as a means to an end in a lot of ways. And the regulations have reflected that. We have a largely uninformed, uneducated, you know, um, group of, of individuals who, who are making these rules at both the provincial and federal levels across all factions. And because they don't understand it, you know, the regulations become completely ridiculous and, and don't benefit anyone and, and certainly don't benefit the consumer. When I consider, you know, the most recent, um, abomination out of my own province is the fact that uh, the premier of Manitoba has has publicly stated that he will ban uh, public consumption of edibles, that he's going to write the regulations so that it is illegal to consume edibles in public for the safety of, of children. Uh, you know, that just speaks to how completely unconscious so much of this has been. Yeah, well, uh, you know, to give you an example from my backyard, uh, Metro Vancouver Association of, of Lower Mainland Municipalities, they they recently have been holding consultations because they've decided that um, outdoor cannabis farming is too bad for the air quality and that if they were to allow it, they're wondering about the possibility of farmers moving their plants indoors on bad air days. Yeah, this is, I mean, I think that it, like the Beaverton could have a heyday because they wouldn't ever even have to make up a headline again. A lot of this is just so completely illogical that it it, it feels like it has to be satire. And it's unfortunate. Um, you know, it's unfortunately reality. And I guess this is the point, you know, I've been, I've been lucky enough to have had a few conversations with you by now. And we've, we've had some, some really great ones and we've had some laughs. And this is always the point where it's like, okay, everything is kind of crappy. And I guess my question to you is, what's next? Like, what do we do about it? What, how do we address some of this? Uh, well, I mean, it, it's, it's difficult. There's multiple answers to that. I think a big chunk of how depends on what we even see in, in, in terms of a, a federal party, um, whether there's another majority, whether it's the liberals again, whether it's a minority, somebody else. Uh, whether it's a majority of somebody else, like we really have no idea. And all of them have been fairly inconsistent. Um, you know, the NDP have said that, you know, they want to tax off cannabis, off medical cannabis. They've been very clear about that. Um, they're the only ones, really. The Green Party, I'm sure, would want it off. But I, I, as I mentioned earlier, their policy really just kind of showed that they weren't up to speed on, on amendments that had already been made. The Liberals obviously haven't been budging on the excise tax. I highly doubt out conservatives would. So, I mean, if there's a change in federal government or if there isn't, I think really changes tactics. I think it, nothing has really changed. I think that there there's a transition. And I don't mean from illicit to, to licit. Society kind of goes through shifts. Industries go through shifts. Um, early kind of retail experiences here in cannabis that weren't, you know, somebody's couch. They were very, very medical. Most of them, as I mentioned earlier, are still around uh, of the original ones. Um, Oddly enough, there were a bunch after that were also very medical. And then there were a whole bunch after that that really weren't. And you saw a shift. And so the industry sort of became 
a mixture of, of those that were very medical, those that sort of believed all use is medical, um, those that just used it sometimes recreationally. Um, you had that sort of whole thing in the industry for a very short period of time. And then you had legalization. And so you've got the mining companies coming in and getting licenses. And you've got these like big growers growing on massive scales. Like, you know, humans have never grown cannabis on this scale indoors like this. N- never. Um, I think that's sort of important to remember, not that scale is necessarily something you should be going for. And that's sort of, I think, the opposite of, of what we should be doing. But in terms of partially why some of this product it may not be as good, even when it's some of the same people growing it, um, there's multiple answers to that. Uh, and that each one of those sorts of sort of needs to change. So it's like, if you're going to ship it off and store it in a warehouse for a while, then yes, it does need to be kind of drier. It does need to be kind of packaged differently than if it's going a little more local. There's multiple reasons why the product isn't as good as, as what people here in the black market are used to. So how you fix it, I think, is you just keep plugging away. You just keep pushing on different pieces. I, I think I was I was describing this the other day as it's like playing a, gen- a game of Jenga, but you've got to have like eight arms and you have to hold certain pieces up so that you can pull the other pieces out. So I think it, it's staying flexible keeping these issues part of the conversation. Patients should not be taxed, period, on medicine. That that should be a no-brainer in Canada. Um, the fact that it's still even a discussion is an issue. There are a lot of issues, in, including consumer empowerment, as, as you mentioned, and I think they're all necessary. I think the court cases that we saw, it was Owen Smith um, fighting for edibles. It was um, Terry Parker fighting for access, uh, Myrna fighting for access. There was so many cases, um, a lard, of course, um, with personal growing, they were all on different fronts and they all kind of need to be one. I mean, yes, we can grow plants now. That's great. But we still see people running into problems because, you know, there's an artist studio tour and an RCMP officer happens to come by and seize the four plants. And so now they've got a problem, right? And so there's still kind of little bumps like that to work out. Whether four plants is an arbitrary number, at least you can grow four plants at this point, right? But I think um, the more people see cannabis, the more they get used to cannabis around them. My, my big hope for legalization was that families would, would kind of get together at Thanksgiving and suddenly realize why certain uncles and cousins were always just kind of wandering off in the middle of dinner for a little while, why they seemed a little happier when they came back. Um, I think there were a lot of conversations like that the first year of legalization. And I think that needs to happen more and more. And as it does, people will start to be aware of these issues as long as we keep bringing them up and, and keep making people aware of them. I think that that's an excellent point, and I, I think it's really timely, um, you know, post-Thanksgiving that we're having this conversation, But I, because I can tell you that, um, you know, if for all the problems that this industry has, for all the challenges we've had in the last year, for all the awkwardness, because that's really what it comes down to, um, we are seeing those shifts and they are exactly for that reason, because people continue to have the conversation. I agree that we need to continue making these issues come to light. We need to continue talking about them in circles that are not echo chambers, um, you know, and, and 
having them with people that maybe we don't always agree with in a way that's constructive. And I'm seeing that at a grassroots level with a lot of SheCan members. We had members, you know, who who really took Thanksgiving as an opportunity to talk openly about how they use this as medicine. And they've seen their persistence in that conversation and their honesty and their willingness to educate and to listen without being evangelical about it uh, pay off. You know, we had a member who has been using medical cannabis for about six months and, you know, her, both her mother-in-law and her, uh, you know, her partner were this weekend willing to try the topical that she had made. And they were overwhelmed. And her mother-in-law sent her a, a text message, which she screenshot saying, thank you so much. I haven't had relief from my eczema like this in as long as I can remember. These were people that previously, you know, had no interest in cannabis, had no belief that it had any value medically or recreationally. And I, I think that you're right. It's about keeping it part of the conversation. And if enough people are having those conversations, it creates critical mass. And that's one thing that we don't need to wait to do. We can just continue continue doing it. I, I've said, you know, for me, um, you know, prior to legalization, I feel like the cannabis industry and cannabis in general, you know, was viewed upon potentially, especially by investors and those with, you know, financial in- interests as this beautiful like baby and everybody wanted to buy the baby things. And we all love the baby and all the potential of the baby and the baby was going to go to Harvard and the baby was going to bring it all home. And, you know, I think a year out, that baby is an adolescent. That baby is an awkward, you know, indignant, rebellious, underachieving adolescent and nobody wants to be around it and nobody wants to handle it. And they're all just throwing up their hands at all these hopes and dreams that they had, you know, put on this thing and it's not happening. And and I'm looking at it going, yeah, but there's some great stuff in there. And we're going to have to ride it out and we're going to have to put in some rules and we're going to have to shake it up. And maybe we have to send them to boarding school. But at the same time, you know, this is a stage like anything else and we'll get through it. And it's not for the faint of heart and there'll be blood in the streets um, and there'll be, you know, there'll be a lot of disenchantment. But what do you do? You keep having the conversations. Well, it's it's that that <laughs> um, this will be an awkward analogy because that was a very disturbing um Really, all that ran through my head once you started talking about the baby and everybody wanted to have the baby was was um, the illicit market that also thought it was going to be born uh, that was not. And so I, my brain went some very disturbing places there because I think that that's, that's this industry. It's, it's important. I, I love that analogy, but it's important that people really understand that, that this industry wasn't new. Being able to trade on the stock market was new, but not the industry itself, not by a long shot. And I think that was the problem was we created a second industry. We saw something similar in Washington, but they very quickly sort of started bringing in all of those producers and processors. And what Washington has as a legal system now looks very much like what what Vancouver's dispensary system uh, system looked like when it was illegal. So it's you know th- there's hope uh, that it can change and get better, but I really think there has not been a recognition yet that there was an existing market. There are reasons to bring that existing market in, and I'm hoping as the stigma falls, this idea that they're all criminals really kind of goes away because it's really not true, particularly in certain communities where it. it 
kind of became a way of life. And it was something that was sort of normal. And, and you know, everybody in every neighborhood kind of had somebody that, that grew and, and paid their truck payments that way. Um, BC was very different than Pickle Lake, Ontario, for example. So um, there are different pains in different places. And, and none of that's really been addressed by anybody. The NDP kind of like pulled a slow rollout, hoping for micro licenses to come quickly, but really haven't done anything. There's there's still a lot to fix. And, and I think on that extremely awkward note, we will uh, end this awkward podcast because I believe we're also over time. Ashley, you and I will probably keep talking for like hours. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's one thing we can guarantee. I think, you know what, it, that's the point, right, is the conversation is always ongoing, whether it's, you know, between a couple people or whether it's on a, you know, on a national stage, we have to have those conversations. And I, I agree. I think that, you know, that helps me really expand on that analogy is that there there was another baby that wasn't born. Um, in terms of, of in terms of the transition of the of the illicit market, and that's something that people need to talk about and they need to be aware of, of because a lot of the mismanaged expectation comes from a fundamental um, lack of understanding of just exactly how cannabis in Canada has existed, you know, long before it was traded on the TSX. So, you know, thank you so much for today. As always, it's a you know, it's a pleasure and an honor. And um, you know, I'm. I'm the informal president of the Jamie Shaw fan club. So I will be, um, you know, taking signups for that and uh, collecting membership fees, maybe even so we can start a consumer lobby. That consumer lobby would be awesome. That would be good. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you very much, Ashley. Have a good night. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.